You're listening to a message that was recorded live at Roots Community Church in Costa Mesa, California. Roots exists to celebrate the glory of God through lives transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about our community, visit us at rootschurch.net. Amen. If you're able to remain standing, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. I know it feels like we're going backwards in Matthew. I hope this is a welcomed refresher and reminder, particularly for you men that were at the men's retreat this year. This will be particularly familiar. I'm using a very similar outline as we move through the Lord's Prayer. And again, I hope it is welcomed as we sit at the Lord's feet again. Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 5. Our Lord says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you, verse 14, forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Beloved, this is God's word to us. Please be seated. Uh, We could not think of a better way to begin the first day of a new year than to sit again at Jesus' feet and learn what it means to depend upon God in prayer. That's what prayer is at its most fundamental essence. It is a posture of dependence. When we pray, we are saying to God, we depend on you. We need you. And we couldn't think of a better way to begin a new year than to sit at Jesus' feet and learn again from the teacher's mouth what it means to depend upon God in prayer. Prayer is to the Christian as breathing is to the body. Without the gift of prayer and fellowship with God, the Christian would wither spiritually. Therefore, regardless of our meaningful resolutions this year, as helpful and as wise as they may be, and I have my own, without an ongoing dependence upon the Lord in prayer, our resolutions and their motivations would cease to be Christian and therefore would cease to matter. And so then prayer is, as breathing is to the body, prayer is vitality for the Christian. And so we, let's go before the Lord this turn our attention again to the Lord's teaching on this most vital of topics, and may we find ourselves 
growing deeper in this most precious resource given to the people of God. Remember with me this section of Matthew's gospel. Jesus is teaching his disciples how not to be like the hypocrites. A hypocrite is a mask wearer. It's a stage actor. It's somebody who is duplicitous. They are one way on stage or one way to this group of people and they act a completely different way in front of this group of people. Jesus is saying, my people are not to be duplicitous. They are not to be two people. They are to be one person, one full, whole-bodied character inside and out person. And what the hypocrites were doing is they were taking good disciplines like prayer and fasting and giving, and they were using these good disciplines in order to be seen by others. And so Jesus over and over again in Matthew chapter 6 says to them, do not be like them. Those that do these kinds of things in order to be seen by men, they are paid in full. They've received their reward, the applause of man, and that's it. But now contrasting that false form of righteousness, Jesus wants to now positively instruct his disciples on how to engage in these right and good disciplines. And in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus lays out a model, a pattern for the church to follow when they pray. The Lord's Prayer is not intended to be formulaic. It's not intended to be a static formula that you follow. Every time you pray, you must say these words. As another writes, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is not laying out a law, but a pattern. This is the principal pattern of how a child of God is to go before the Lord. This is what it looks like. Furthermore, I want you to notice as we move through the Lord's Prayer, as we just read it, and I'm sure you've heard it a hundred times, I want you to notice how simple the prayer is. It is simple. There aren't lofty words. There aren't hard to understand phrases. You don't have to have a, a, a thesaurus or a dictionary next to you looking up words as you move through the Lord's Prayer. It is simple. It takes less than a minute to read in its entirety. So therefore, we can conclude that Jesus, as he gives us this model, this principle for prayer, he is not after lofty speech. God is not impressed by our vocabulary. He is not moved by our turn of phrase. As we've learned over and over again through the Gospel of Matthew, and of course, in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, God is after character, the heart of a man and woman, the inside, what's going on inside He's interested in that and he's not interested in lofty speech and he's not interested in lofty speech as we pray. So with this in mind, let's look at this model prayer. Again, this will be an abbreviated sermon, but let's look at this model prayer given by the Lord in its petitions and pray that the Lord would use it to shape our dependence throughout this new year for his glory and our joy. Look at verse nine again. Jesus begins in this way. He says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. The most famous model prayer ever given to the church begins with an intensely personal relationship between the one praying and the God of heaven. It begins with an intensely personal relationship. It begins with our Father 
We talked about this a bit before, but beginning, but the beginning of the Lord's Prayer assumes something. It assumes a relationship already exists. It assumes a theology of adoption. That is, that the Christian who comes before the Lord in prayer is fundamentally already in the family of God. The prayer is not hopeful that this Lord will be Father. It doesn't say, our hoped-for Father in heaven, or our soon-to-be, or Lord willing, my Father in heaven. It already assumes a position in the family of God. It's our Father. These are those who engage in prayer are those who are fundamentally already seated at the family table. Prayer, therefore, is not a way. Prayer is not a way to break into God's relational affection. It's not a way to break into God's relational affection. Instead, prayer is the result of already possessing God's relational affection. It is a consequence, prayer is a consequence of being adopted into the family of God. It is not a means to get in. And therefore, lighting a candle and working up a sweat or working up, we're going to do an all-nighter and then we're going to do another all-nighter and we're going to keep continuing to try to break into the Father's affection. That is not what happens here. And we learn this from the very first phrase, our Father, it assumes you're already in. And this position in the family of God does not come through natural means. We aren't naturally born into the family of God and we did not earn a seat at the Father's table. Instead, we become family only through adoption. God adopts us on the grounds of grace alone through the finished work of Jesus Christ alone and we're adopted into the family of God and as a consequence of that adoption, of already being in God's family, we cry out, our Father, our Father. And so the Lord's Prayer sets a tone right out of the gate. Our Father, we are not praying to a faceless deity who could care less about how you feel. We're praying to our Father in heaven who deeply cares. And yet he is not just our Father. The phrase continues. He is our Father in heaven. He is our Father in heaven, and we must never separate these two realities. He is our Father, yes, but He is our Father in heaven. He is unlike any earthly father you and I have ever experienced. And some of us in here will give a hearty amen to that. God is not like our fathers here on earth. He does share some attributes, but He is our Father who is in heaven. He is otherworldly. He is high and he is lifted up. The heavens are his tabernacle. The earth is his footstool. He controls the galaxies in the palm of his hand. He is our father with limitless resource for his children. He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't act spitefully. He doesn't interrupt us. He doesn't suppress our emotions and our feelings. If those are the kind of thoughts that are coming in and emotions that are coming in to your life, that is not your father in heaven. Our father is tender with his children. And he is our father who is in heaven. And because he is our father who is in heaven, Jesus says, 
holy is his name. His name is holy. And this brings us now to our very first petition request in the Lord's Prayer. There are six petitions, six requests in the Lord's Prayer. The first three are Godward. Holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And then the next three are needs that we have. Human needs. Daily bread. Forgiveness of sin. Leading us out of temptation. So there's three Godward petitions and three petitions that meet our need. As another writes, quote, we are not to be so taken up with ourselves that we rush into God's presence and give him a shopping list of our needs. His name is to be hallowed. That is to say, we long for his name or his character to have top place in the world and in people's hearts. So as we think of a pattern for prayer, this pattern says, Go to God first. Ascribe glory to God first. Hallow his name first. Ask that his kingdom come and his will be done before we make petitions for ourselves. And so the first petition again is, hallowed be your name. This is a petition. This is a request. Another way to say this is, may your name, God, be honored as holy in my life and among the nations. Before there is any asking of daily bread or forgiveness of sin, there is a petition for reverence. Your name is holy. God, may I see you as you really are. Notice that Jesus says, hallowed be your name. Hallowed be your name. The name of God is his deepest essence. It is his nature. Not just what God does, but who he is. And here, Jesus distills down the name of God to its most potent reality, and that is holy. What is your name, God? Holy. Holy means other, distinct, set apart. God is wholly other than all that he has created. He is wholly unique, and his name is holy. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer. The second and third petition, again, are God-centered requests. Look at verse 10. Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Literally, the request is your rule, your kingly rule and reign come near. As you rule in heaven, rule now here in my heart and on this earth. Come near. Your kingly rule come near. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've shared this from this pulpit and again with the men at the the retreat as we move through this text. We do need to feel, don't we, the weight of that request. Or, Or let me say it this way. We need to feel the consequences of that request. Because when we pray this, when we pray for his kingdom to come and his will to be done, we are asking God that our wills and our desires be interrupted by God's will and God's desire. We are asking that God's kingdom would interfere with our kingdoms. Your kingdom come. If one kingdom comes, another has to fall. And so when we ask for God's kingdom to come, we need to be prepared that it's going to come. 
And it's not always going to feel good when our kingdoms collapse. But it is always good when his kingdom comes. It is always good. This kingdom falling and this will bending isn't always pleasant. But it is good and it is the way that it is supposed to be. And it will be the way that it will be for all of eternity. May God's kingdom come and his will be done. I wonder if we prayed that all year long. And Lord, make me ready to receive your kingdom. Incline my heart to bend its will to your will. Your will be done on earth in my heart as it is in heaven. That's a courageous prayer to actually pray. The fourth petition comes in verse 11. Give us this day our daily bread. Now again, this is the pivot in the prayer. First three were God word. Now we are asking for petitions that speak to the fundamental need of the human experience, the human life. Daily provision, forgiveness of sin, and protection from the evil one. First, daily provision. Give us this day our daily bread. What is remarkable to me about this is the staggering shift in perspective. We're just instructed to pray about God's kingdom coming and his will being done and and his name being hallowed. This, This sort of cosmic big view of God in prayer, this perspective that we're given as the prayer begins. And now we move to this tiny little request for daily bread from the glory of God and the holiness of God to daily need. And this says to me that Jesus is not a detached philosopher who is disinterested in the practical needs of our lives. In this petition, Jesus sheds light on the care of our Father's heart to provide daily sustenance, daily needs. Now, as Frederick Bruner says in his commentary, this doesn't mean give us this day our daily cake, our above and beyond. This is daily need, daily need. And of course, our daily needs come to us not in simple form, but through a multitude of complex avenues. Listen to again, Frederick Bruner quotes again, bread costs money and more money now these days. Bread costs a lot of money. Money requires work. Work requires good governments, good business, good labor. Thus, when we pray, listen, when we pray for bread or daily provision, we are praying at the same time for money, for jobs, for government, for businesses, for labor, for good crops, for good weather, for good roads, for justice, for everything economic, political, and social. So when we're asking for daily provision, see the complex structure of things to give us that daily portion of sustenance. And the point is God directs all of these avenues to get you and I, his children, what we need. Give us this day our daily bread. The fifth petition, and forgive us our debts, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. 
if we are only left with physical provision, bread, shelter, and yet we have no forgiveness of our sins, then James tells us that we are only fattening ourselves for the day of slaughter. We are only preparing our bodies for judgment. And beloved, there are manifold problems that are facing humanity. There will be manifold problems that will face humanity in this new year. We continue to invent new ones over and over and over and over again. But the greatest and most pervasive problem with the most severe consequences is that we have transgressed a holy God and we have mounted a debt of sin that no human being could ever come close to paying. That is, this, that is the worst news imaginable. Not that the bread has run out, but that we have transgressed a holy God and we cannot pay that debt back. And so right here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is inviting his children, the Father's children, his disciples, to pray that God would forgive us of our sins. And praise God, the reason he invites us to pray this prayer is because it's possible that our sins could be forgiven. In fact, at the birth of Christ, we just celebrated Christmas, you heard, you've heard this, the angel makes the announcement to Joseph. Right? His name shall be called Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their what? Sins. That is why he came. That is what, that's what makes him Messiah. Not only that he provides our daily needs, praise God, but that he provides our spiritual sustenance. He pays the sin debt that we could never pay. And that is why we raise our hallelujahs, our amens to God, because he has indeed forgiven our sins. And one evidence that your sins have been forgiven, one evidence that you have been forgiven by the Father through the Son is that you are willing now to forgive others of their sins against you. You see how Christ just baked that in to that fifth petition. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are in debt to us. It is inconsistent with the Christian faith to receive forgiveness from God in Christ Jesus at the highest cost imaginable. It is inconsistent, therefore, to harbor unforgiveness to those in our lives. And that does not mean that you have not been hurt or harmed. And that doesn't mean that that sin against you isn't painful. It means that you now have the capacity to extend out what you have been given in the Lord. The nature of that relationship is to be told. Doesn't mean that you need to be best friends with the person you forgive. You might be physically unsafe around the person that you extend forgiveness to. The nature, the form of that relationship is inconsequential. What matters is the forgiveness in your heart. And I told the guys as we were coming down the, the mountain how, how terrifying it would be to hear the Lord's prayer on forgiveness that we've received from the Lord and then go down the mountain and, and, and shake others down who owe us debt. In the same way, how terrible would it be on the first day of the new year to hear the Lord's prayer 
to hear of our forgiveness in Christ and begin this new year going down, harboring resentment, harboring bitterness, harboring unforgiveness the rest of the year and letting that tax us. May one of our prayerful resolutions this new year be to forgive others who have mounted a sin debt against you. If you're, if you're wondering how to do that, every situation is different. Right? That might sound really good in theory, but maybe your situation is very complex, very scary. To do that feels very dangerous for you. Would you sit down with us and talk? Talk with one of your pastors Talk with one of the ministry leaders and say, I, I want to forgive this person. And it's, it's really hard. And let me, let me tell you why it's difficult for me. We can walk with you through that process. Well, the sixth and final petition, and then we'll begin praying here in just a moment together. The sixth and final petition comes in verse 13. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I've stared long and hard at verse 13 for a lot of years. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The question I have as I stare at verse 13 is, does God lead us into temptation? If he doesn't, why would we pray that he wouldn't? The answer is yes. The Lord can and does lead us into situations where we are tempted. Though God is not the tempter, he can certainly use situations that bring temptation to tempt us. And and we're reminded of Matthew chapter 4 with Jesus' own temptation. Do you remember who brought Jesus to the wilderness? The Spirit. The Spirit led him into the, to the wilderness to be tempted. Now, did God lead him into the wilderness and then go, oh, you're, you're on your own? Of course not. Would God ever lead his own children into temptation and say, oh, you're on your own. I'm going to see how you're going to figure this one out. No, he is with us always, even to the end of the age. The point is that God, the request is, God, yeah, lead us not into temptation. Don't let us be... S- snagged, bitten, trapped by the evil one. That God instead would snatch us from the jaws of Satan and that that the evil that lurks in this world and in our hearts would not overcome us as we are being tempted. I look forward to the day when we will be in glory and this part of the Lord's prayer will no longer be necessary. But praise be to God, we have an advocate. We can pray, oh God, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Or some translations say, the evil one. Snatch us from the jaws of the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I pray that this model prayer would inform your prayers today and throughout the new year. As you engage the Lord, you lift up his name, you reverence him as holy and other, and as you ask for your daily needs, and as you do so, and you're crying out to your heavenly Father. Let me pray for us, and then we're going to begin an experiment as we just pray together. So let's, let's go before the Lord 
Father in heaven. This prayer begins with a plural pronoun, our Father. So we are together saying, our Father. God, we ascribe you glory and honor. And Lord, although it is a, it feels, can feel like a dangerous prospect to ask for your kingdom to come and your will be, be done, it is not. It is good. It is good that your kingdom come. It is good that your will be done. So, Lord, would you bend our wills? Would you find willing, eager hearts to follow you this year? Not follow our hearts, but be led by you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we're going to engage in corporate prayer. It's going to be elder-led, so I'm going to lead us in corporate prayer. But if you feel comfortable... Uh, we're going to begin with a time of adoration. So adoration just means ascribing God glory. We're adoring him for his attributes together. An attribute is like a, it's, it's something about God that we revere, that we love about him. So you can, you can spend time thanking him for his gentleness, for his power, for his mercy, for his, his immutability, which means he never changes. You can thank him for an attribute. And we just ask that you would stand if you're comfortable so everyone could hear you. You don't have to stand, but be, you know, project and, and praise God for an attribute. And we'll spend maybe 15, 20 seconds each uh, person so that we can all have an opportunity to give praise to God. And then I'll lead us in a time of confession and then thanksgiving, and then we'll end with supplication. But let's spend some time, if you're comfortable, adoring our Lord together. And I'll begin. Father, I praise you for your never-ending love. It never ceases, it has no beginning, it has no end, and you have lavished it upon your children. I thank you for your steadfast love.